You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three row all electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. And welcome to the first ever episode of I Know What Scares You, your regular rational romp through our guests' spooky, terrifying, and sometimes downright weird experiences. Enjoy the show as your hosts try to figure out what really scares people. Who are we and why are we particularly qualified to host this podcast? That I don't really know. But anyway, I'm Dr. Kiki Sanford, and after getting a PhD in birds and brains, I traded my lab coat for a microphone, and I have been talking about science ever since. I've hosted lots of shows, like This Week in Science, and covered many topics through the years, and I am so thrilled to get to join this brilliant, amazing crew of evidence-loving miscreant hosts Who are they? Natalia, you want to start? Oh, yeah. Uh, Hi, I'm Natalia Reagan, and uh, I'm an anthropologist, a comedian, and when I'm not busy chasing spider monkeys in Panama or using my primate expertise to host Bigfoot TV shows, I'm combining science and comedy to spread science literacy to the masses, or at least I try. And I am Brian Dunning. I'm a member of the National Association of Science Writers, and I'm probably best known as host of the Skeptoid podcast since... 2006. I hope that doesn't date me. Uh, looking at the true science, uh, thank you. It the does. true science and the true history <laughs> behind urban legends. So, my whole jam is trying to understand why so many smart people in the world end up believing so many incredibly weird things and using that to try and give us all better tools to tell what's real from what's not. And I am Jonathan Pritchard, a mentalist. I've been traveling the world for about 20 years, entertaining audiences all over the place. I kind of got my start helping at the James Randi Educational Foundation, handling applications for a million-dollar challenge to anybody who claims to have genuine paranormal abilities. So I saw all the ways that people tried to scam their way to the money and thought, I can do this better than they can, and that's how I became a mentalist. Ever since, I've been uh, teaching people how the mind works and how it doesn't work so good sometimes, and uh, that's what I'm here to share. 
Well, I am, for one, really excited to learn about all those scams you've got going, Jonathan. But I think it's time for us to just get into the show. Starting up, we've got some news. I'm here to discuss Speaking of scams, I've got a real doozy, guys. Hold on to your seats, because we've got a London woman who has fallen in love with an alien. Yes, like David Bowie said, she is loving the alien. And according to the oh-so-reputable Daily Star, Abby Bella complained online that she was sick of silly Earthmen, and apparently her would-be extraterrestrial lover saw her laments, bypassed her DMs, and slid directly into her dreams and asked her basically to wait for his arrival the next night. And when he rolled up on the flying saucer the next day, she got out of his dreams and into his spaceship where she was met with five super tall human-like creatures. And and don't worry, it doesn't get too freaky deaky because I was like, oh God, what's happening next? Uh, But she did bond with one alien in particular. And basically this modern day gentle alien actually asked for her consent uh, before she would run away with him. Uh, And she actually said no because she was afraid he would take her away forever, which I don't know, that sounds kind of nice given the state of the world these days. So now she's complaining that she regrets her decision and waits nightly with her go bag, like we all have a go bag, and is hoping for her star-crossed alien to return. So guys, what do you what do you make of this fantastic, uh, you know, star-crossed lover hey, Here's my thing. I mean, w- w- when we hear stories like this, and given what I do for a living, these are coming across my desk all day long. I mean, one of two <laughs> things is probably true. Um, she um, she's making it up, which is usually not the case. And the other thing is that she's either mistaken. I, I mean, she's obviously mistaken about what this is, what this happened. Ad- assuming she's honestly telling a story of what she believes happened. Um, and so I I I don't it really honestly I don't bother to spend a great deal of time on that third possibility that this actually is an <laughs> alien here and and. And you know that's that you're not you're, you're supposed to do that you're supposed to you're supposed to give you know equal time to all possibilities but I'm sorry that's not a real possibility. I, what, what do you guys think about that? Do you guys will you guys give equal time to the goofy possibility? All I have to say is Ambien is a heck of a drug. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Or fame. By the way, she's an actress in her 30s. That's all it says. Uh, she says it's the real deal. She says it's love. And she's, you know, she's, she's been waiting well, for it. Yep. Opportunities aren't going to ask you twice, right? The, he, he asked, do you want to come <laughs> along? And she didn't have an absolute, yeah, let's go. So why why would the alien come back for a second tour? It's her her missing out. She's getting ghosted by an alien. That's some... That's, oh, some sh- wow. that's some stuff. <laughs> it must be a pretty slow dating scene on that guy's planet that he comes all the way here. Yeah, she said she's willing to go to the Andromeda galaxy to basically spend the rest of her days uh, uh, with, with I, said alien. It's a cockpit. What happened? What happened between the no to the go bag to, to change her mind? No, I'm not going to go with you now, but okay, now I will go with you if you come back. It feels, it feels very like modern-day rom-com where she's kind of that sort of manic pixie girl where she finally gets the guy, but he's not exactly what she expected, and so she's sitting there trying to figure out. But apparently she's, you know, she's waiting, got to go back. I don't know. I think if she did the old standard leave behind um, or maybe a trail of Reese's Pieces, I mean, we're talking an extraterrestrial here. Let's get creative. 
People are willing to well, do all sorts of crazy things. We are, and uh, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for weighing in on that fantastic story of the week. And I heard we have a fantastic guest that Jonathan's about to introduce. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Our guest is probably best known for playing Crichton the Android on the very long-running British TV series Red Dwarf uh, since 1989. And these days he's making the world cleaner and greener with a super popular streaming program fully charged. So please put your hands together for our guest, Robert Llewellyn. How how did I do? Oh, because your your <laughs> your introduction when when we were talking, you had the perfect Welsh pronunciation, and my Welsh ancestors are very far in my ancestry, so there was no way I was going to stick that landing. I can't do it properly. I mean, it's not when I think of my granddad who could do it properly. It's it's a vague copy of what he used to say. Yeah, no, it's not. It's a it's a complicated language to learn. I can't speak Welsh. You know, it is a. Well, you got the uh, the North Carolina mountain pronunciation, so welcome aboard. And uh, <laughs> so, what are we what are we going to be talking about? Because the theme is precognition, and as a mentalist, I stand on stage to make it look like I can predict the future. I I always like to point out that if I could actually predict the future with any sort of accuracy. I would go to Vegas immediately and I wouldn't have to be at this four o'clock show in the middle of nowhere. So I want to give you the floor to walk us through your story, be as detailed as yeah. you can, then we'll ask you a whole bunch of questions and take it from there. It's the only thing that's ever happened in my life where I really couldn't quite work out what had happened. So I've got to go back about 31 years. And I was in Australia. My wife is Australian, so I spent a lot of time in Australia. We were in on the coast of Queensland, which is, uh, if you've never been, very, very spectacular, very beautiful, uh, very, very hot. And I was asleep one night, and I woke up from a proper screaming nightmare where I dreamt that a very good friend of mine, uh, a New Yorker, was, uh, was trying to kill me and another mutual friend in a swimming pool. And I, uh, the, the reason the, the swimming pool thing might not sound scary to most people who... You know, learnt to swim when they were children. I didn't learn to swim until I was 37 when I had children. I couldn't swim. So uh -huh. a, a, a dream about being in water where you're out of your depth was by definition very frightening for me. That was the, It was a really horrible dream because he was a lovely guy and in the dream he was furiously angry and 
very dangerous. And he was a big guy in real life. He was a big guy. Go back to bed, go back to sleep. Two weeks later, I get a paper letter in an envelope. It was a friend of mine who was in London who wrote me a letter to tell me that this man, Michael, I'll use his name, had died. But on the day that I, was, uh, that I had that nightmare, he dropped dead in a dentist's waiting room of a massive cardiac arrest. Now, he had had a history of illness in his teens, and he was a, a chronic chain smoker, was not a fit guy, but was uh, an extraordinary man. Very, very, uh, really impressive, uh, funny, intuitive, sensitive. There's no way I knew he died. And I definitely had a nightmare which featured him very strongly around the time he died that I didn't find out that he died for at least two weeks later because I know where we were when I got that letter. That is quite hard to explain. You know, that was quite odd. And it's definitely a thing that stayed with me. There's no other experience I've had that is even remotely close to that. Like that's that's, that's perfect. That Let me ask you a couple of questions, though, uh, just to fill in the details. Yeah. In your dream, you had one friend was trying to kill you and another friend in a swimming pool. And which one is the one who yes. died? Oh, Michael, who was trying to kill me. So in the dream, I'm in a swimming pool with Michael and Sarah. And the, uh, Michael and I were quite close uh, but neither of us were as close to each other as we were to Sarah. I don't okay. know if I can explain that politely. This is <laughs> this is a long, t a long ah, time ago oh, that, mm, that, um, ah. that Sarah was uh, was close to both of us, but not at the same time. Not at the same time. There was a bit of overlapping, possibly <laughs> okay, on her part. We're, we're very inclusive. But here. you know, so there was some. Yes. I like so, this. Yeah, we've so got Sarah the most boring a, part of your, your whole stories. Like, wait, I need a, I need a yeah. separate podcast Tell called me Things That Interest Me and stories about your Italian <laughs> girlfriend, your Australian wife. Yeah. And so, yeah. Why? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, is a, I, uh, it took me years to work out that I have never dated a, a white middle-class English woman just never happened i know someone in london who's looking and she's done with Earthmen. i just i'm just throwing that out there that's true she she is abby abby I bella could, she's in canary right, wharf canary wharf lovely area i could put uh, i could have my red dwarf makeup put on and go and visit <laughs> that would be quite funny actually <laughs> i think we're on to something uh, folks hello ma'am i read about you in the <laughs> daily star Okay, I've, I'm getting down to brass tacks here. So yeah, now, at the time when you had the dream, you're in Australia. Yeah, yeah. We're assuming it was within a few hours at a minimum or... Maybe within okay. a day or yeah. so. Uh, the same yeah, possibly. day. Possibly. Within 20... I think, I think okay. within okay. 24 hours okay. is fair. I think that is... Okay, so let me ask you, what, what about this is the part that specifically seems unusual, inexplicable? I think, I think certainly one of them is that I'm not... I'm not prone to nightmares okay uh, and I very rarely I mean I have written down dreams in my life when I've remembered them because they're quite weird and you know how dreams are but that's quite unusual so it's not a it's not a common experience for me to wake up in the middle of the night really frightened with my heart going crazy uh, that's that on, alone was quite an unusual thing so say Michael hadn't died that would still have been quite weird <laughs> and so it was the combination of the two when I then find out that he died was it was that moment where you it was like a contra zoom in a cinema. When I opened the letter from Christoph, who is my friend, who wrote the, who told me about Michael, uh, you know, it was like the whole world went at that moment. That was quite a strange uh, experience to read that. And that was, I think, it was a, at least two weeks later that I would have received okay. that letter. 
Um, so, I mean, this is what, what you're talking about um, is it's actually kind of the classic example uh, that we tend to use to explain why things that seem extraordinary coincidental um, really aren't that surprising to begin with. Because, I mean, I mean, you can make an equation from all of this, and the variables of the equation is how many people does the average person know well enough that they're a friend yeah. that you might have a dream about them? And it's usually, you know, a couple of hundred. How many days are there in a year? How many years do you live? Uh, and then how many people do you know who die over the course of your lifetime? And that's usually, you know, obviously the older you get, that usually ends up being up to a couple of hundred. And when you multiply all of these out, the chances of any two of those things happening, you have a specific dream or thought of someone that you never think of on the same day that they, that, that, that they happen to actually die. It actually happens to most people. And when you consider in a, in a country of the side, well, take the world population, you know, what do we have now? Seven, seven and a half, eight billion people? How many times a day is that happening? And it's a huge, huge number. Even if, and you can tweak those variables a lot up and down and make them as conservative as you want. Yeah. And it's still a huge number of times every day that this seemingly impossibly improbable coincidence is happening. So, but, so had, you, had you considered that? Had you ever like sat down and said, what are actually the odds of this having happened? I, I suppose not in the, in the way that you've, you've structured it, but I mean, I certainly was always, I was always suspicious of my own experience. Because I'm going, what, how, you know, I, I think on the instant that I read the letter from Christoph, it was such a shock, because I'd seen Michael literally a couple of days before I left to go to Australia. So oh. maybe two months before, oh. and I'd spent, a, uh, you know, I had lunch with him in in London, and we had a long talk, and he, you know, and he was fine then. He wasn't like ill. I wasn't expecting it. It was it was very unexpected. He was forty two years old. He had two small children. Very very sad uh, oh, event for his peers and everyone around oh. him and his kids. Um, but uh, so that but so that an instant reaction was absolutely that. This is a psychic wave that Michael sent through the Earth's core to my brain while I was asleep in Queensland. And then I went, yeah, but was it the same time? You know, I was trying to work out the days and go back through my diary. And when were we at that place? What night was it that I had that actual nightmare? You know, how close? So I, I'm saying now, I'm defending it, say it's within 24 hours. Yeah. It was in the same week. <laughs> it definitely was in the same week that I had it, but I, I can't really honestly. This is kidding. <laughs> Well, it is because you construct, but you know, you construct absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's a classic case because I have thought about this since we talked about since I knew I was coming on here, uh, thinking, wait a minute, how close was it? I just don't know now because also yeah. now I don't have any way of finding the dates that I would have had that uh, that dream because I wrote about it a year later, probably. Right. You know, that's, so it's all you. You've just hit it on the head, which is I engineer those experiences for my audiences yeah. yes and i, can, I have yeah. specific techniques to help you not be able to reconstruct an accurate timeline so that what you know happened never happened and i yeah. have people argue with me afterwards saying no i i know that's what you told me you just did but i know what i saw happen and you can't yeah. you can't Nope. I know that you're psychic. I know that you've got the yeah. mojo. And and wow. the dream that happens is such a common motif. I use that in my shows where I say, right. 
I, I have these dreams that happen and nobody believes me. So that's why I've taken the habit of writing it all down. And then yeah. we go through this whole exercise and then I show proof that I wrote down these wacky details that people make up. It's, it's all a trick, but I, I do have that, that exact kind of thing happen where, yeah, that's how I experienced deja vu, which is yeah. I dreamt this was ha- going to happen and now it is, but that does, it doesn't translate automatically to, well, that now means that physics doesn't exist. Like, Psychic yeah, yeah. psychic wavelengths propagate faster through the Earth's core than outer space, so that yeah. that we yeah. can triangulate. The, no, that <laughs> no, thank yeah. you. Psychic powers are faster than the speed of yeah. light. They go and they go it. through. Oh they goodness, go through liquid FTL. metal in the They go all the way to right. Andromeda. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you? I'm curious. Have you ever talked to Sarah about this? Actually, probably not, no, because she now lives in Italy. She's a, an artist who lives on a, in a castle on a hill in Italy. Is this the Italian girlfriend? No, no, the Italian girlfriend is completely different. It's a different... She Got wasn't it. Italian Got at it. the time that they were dating. No, so there was... <laughs> okay, so I'll just do the Italian girlfriend, end of Italian girlfriend, whole other story, don't want to bore you, quite complicated. Italian girlfriend now that. very happily lives in France, has a lovely son and a lovely husband, and we get on with her fine, and we stayed there, and it's lovely. Uh, gap between Italian girlfriend and Australian wife, some other stuff happened, which included Sarah mm. hey. and some other stuff. I don't want to go into that. You know, I was young. That's okay. I was young and very, very responsible and very, very uh, standoffish. I, the women made the approaches, not me. I just mm. want to point that out very clearly. <laughs> and I'm shocked at how sometimes women do make approaches. Yeah. It doesn't happen anymore. It's a great relief. Now I'm very old. <laughs> I get no. I'm very no. I don't need to. I'm very happy not to have approaches. But yeah, and there's also the, there's also the question of, um, you know, whether or not you did have something in your daily life that would have triggered a memory of either Sarah yeah. or Michael, um, and because you had the overlap with Sarah, perhaps your brain would automatically. Uh, with Michael, yeah. with Sarah, you know, maybe your brain would automatically connect these things. And our brains are these amazing networks of association. And it, this thing is associated with that thing, which is another. And so you have this combination of possible triggers within your daily life that would lead to a um, your brain processing information about what you've what you've seen what you've heard what you've thought and memories that you possibly have had put that into a metaphorical dream context which it was about death but it wasn't michael's death it was your pot he was trying to kill you right so you know that kind of metaphor is usually there's something in your life that's like a transition or something your brain's your brain's figuring something out on a, mm. on a bigger scale. It doesn't necessarily yeah. mean death because dreams are rarely yeah. as oh, they yeah, seem. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I could throw another wrench into here because I, I've... Um, yeah. <laughs> I love your wrench. You know how, you know how when, when you have a dream about someone uh, and, and you're trying to explain the dream to, to, to your wife or someone the next yeah. day, you'll say, you know, and, and, and Joe was in the dream, but it wasn't Joe. It was, it was Jim. Yeah, but, yeah. But, and, you're, and people kind of blend together. And so yeah. in, in some of the research I've done, I've read a lot of these dream studies where, um, you know, they, they put people in a, in a special room and they, you know, have the EEGs yeah. on them and everything. And when people wake up 
immediately after having a dream and they describe it, uh, they might name some people or they might say it was Joe, but it was Jim, but it looked like Bob or something like this. And then in the morning when they write about it, it's often a different person. And then yeah. sometimes in some of these studies, they will introduce people that the person actually knows and actually change who the memory is of who was in the dream. Yeah. So when yeah. you say that the dream was uh, Michael was killing you and Sarah in the pool, is that right? Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be at all surprised that if you had woken up right after and I'd asked you who was in the dream, you could have named two different people. Right, yeah, possible. I mean, the other thing that I know Judy would argue is it wasn't Michael and it wasn't Sarah. You know, it was it was you know it wasn't them, is it was my dream. It was what right. was happening in me. So it was nothing to do with them actually, as well. I think is very other key. Yeah. You know, she would say, you know, I dreamt that I was walking along the street with Adolf Hitler. Yeah, all right, it wasn't Adolf Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I like the Jungian uh, archetype of the shared backstory and now this motivation of your friend who you thought was a bosom buddy <laughs> was now upset with your previous relationship with Sarah and he's trying to kill you this representation yeah. of water of struggle. Yeah. You get very yeah. Jungian on it. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. proper Jungian stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No good quality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. For all of this though, I think that the, you know, our, our memory mechanisms and how they work to Brian's point also of that kind of malleability, um, especially when you're in a dream state and uh, when you're remembering something, your memory is open. That neural network is yeah. capable of change. And so the neural plasticity that is inherent in our brain is capable of actually changing the memory as we are remembering oh, it. Yeah. And that's like a an, an aspect of how we're moving forward in different kinds of therapy, PTSD yeah. type stuff. Yeah. Um, but for dreams, because you wake up and you're in this very, uh, I don't know, uh, this state that is able, it's malleable. You can make dreams what you want them to be, change the state, change change all sorts of details in the process of the memory actually being crystallized as you come back to consciousness, full consciousness. Yeah. Um, but what's also interesting is there's actually a study out this week in, I think it's in like science or science advances or something, but uh, researchers had people look at images and then were do did uh, fMRI mapping of brain activity to find out what areas of the brain were active as people were um, were assessing images that they hadn't seen before. And what they found is that the hip the hippocampus is actually involved in retrieving old information. So basically framing what you're seeing in present with what you've seen in the past. And so everything that happens in our past is actually creating yeah. our present and the way we see the future. And so, you know, all everything we, our hippocampus goes, oh, this is something new. Let's, let's re-encode things and tell a different story. But basically this is like your brain is like, I'm going to keep going back to this. It's our brain telling us a story. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, um, and then it just coincidentally happened to be around this unfortunate time of Michael's yeah, passing. Yeah. Your no, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's the thing. I mean, I'm very happy to wrap this up, but I think that it's absolutely uh, a skill set that I've developed in the last 45 years 
is I, I called it, I've tried to write a book and I eventually gave up called Embroidery for Boys. And the whole idea was I watched my son do it. So my son would have had a genuine fall from his skateboard. That really happened in real life. I saw him do it and he hurt his knee. This is when he's like 12. And, he, and we were in a skate park. And then later I, I'd hear him explain that, that event to his mates. And he said, oh, I fell off the knee and my kneecap came right off. And dad had to get, pick it up and take me to hospital. You know, it was like massive exaggeration. But the actual start of that story was real. And then I absolutely recognised that. I went, I've, that is my life. Because that's what you do when you're a performer or you're a storyteller. You know, I did trip over and fall down and hurt my ankle. But in the story, I'm telling you, <laughs> the hole was 4,000 feet deep. And actually, it was lava at the bottom. And there was a dragon. <laughs> You know, it's really amazing that you survived. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's incredible. It's a miracle. I am actually a, a superhero. Yeah, Christmas all that stuff. And, and and boys, I don't. I'm sure women do it as well. But it's just I was so aware of that 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 thing. You know, that I had. I did write about it in the end, but it, it it's not that interesting in a way. But you know, I think that is there was a bit of embroidery around that dream when I really look at the reality of what happened. Mm -hmm. I think it's. I'm going to hold on. The one thing I'm going to hold on to, Brian, is I definitely had the dream. Before I knew Michael was dead. That's all. That's absolutely, I, that is rock solid fact. Yeah. Everything else is up if for grabs. If that's the case, then I'm, I'm backpedaling and I say it is inexplicable. <laughs> I, I love it. And also that, that embroidery, that's the explanation for my whole career. Yes, what I exactly, do is exactly. mediocre, but people seem to remember it, it as being fantastic. It is mediocre. So yeah. that's, that's great. At, at best. Uh, at best. Brian! That's a terrible Rude. thing. But you'll remember it as marvelous. That's the trick. Yes. That's the I best trick. So yeah. we definitely appreciate you going into those lascivious tangents as well and sharing so much of your very personal mm -hmm. uh, background in history. But a long time ago. Yes, so really a long time that. ago and a lifetime far, far away. Uh, what, <laughs> you, you've also got a lot of other stuff going on, very creative, putting out a lot of fun stuff. So what are some other things that you want to put on people's radar that they may not know about you or things that people should look up about you? Oh, I mean, well, I mean, the thing I'm working on, you know, it's become a very full-time job is the show I make called Fully Charged, uh, which is about, you know, the, the future of energy and transport, I suppose, in the broadest terms and the possibility that we are going through uh, whatever number, I don't know, third or fourth industrial revolution. I mean, it's certainly on a colossal scale, the, the, the shift. But one of the things that fascinates me, and, I, and I'm not... I'm, I'm trying to find a way of, uh, of developing that more and, and really needs uh, other people because it's beyond my pay grade, is the psychology of human beings when faced with a, a very minor shift in the technology they live with. <laughs> it is quite extraordinary. So, so the kind of deep trauma that I have to say mostly men experience when faced with the prospect of, of having to not drive a combustion car and drive an electric one. I mean, it's no big deal. They're just cars. You're going to not drive a car that goes... Vroom. You're going to drive a car that goes... Ugh. 
that's, you know, that's about as deep as it goes. And yet the trauma that we experience on a daily basis in comments, in tweets, in all that stuff is, I don't quite understand where that is coming, where that's coming from. It's in a sense similar to a dream. It's not about the actual technology. It's about something far deeper and more traumatized in, in the person. But anyway, that's what we're doing. So um, well, my thought was, it, why can't you just add, you know, like some room vroom to an electric car? Well, that, you know, just you kind of fake yeah. it till you make it. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, me, whatever will get Natalia, people I'm to, to sign on. But when I got my I'm, Tesla, the first thing I did was tear that speaker out. Those little exterior fake sounds yeah. that it makes, you, I cannot stand those. Yeah. Very <laughs> The one that the That's the, the sound that the Porsche Taycan makes. Let me just say, I have heard that. Cool. I've not. Well, I've, I've heard what you said. Yeah. I have not heard the sound though. Wow. Yeah, that is quite a cool sound. But maybe sometimes those sounds aren't about you, Brian. Yeah, they're about other maybe people. Maybe those Don't, sounds look, are. Look, if you want to have this debate, yes, Brian, have yes. this debate all over. day long because it presumes that the only reason drivers don't plow down every pedestrian they see is that they're it's relying they on them to noise. hear the engine. <laughs> Right. I'm going to get you a ice cream truck sound to have playing out your speaker. Yeah. That's what I'm going to get, Brian. Yeah. Just you wait. I have, I have met a Tesla owner who put a, who, because uh, the Teslas at the moment, uh, now they do in the UK, they have to have a reversing noise. So they now have a, when you're in reverse, that's the only dangerous time. When you're going forwards, it's stupid. It's complete nonsense. But when you're reversing out of a car park space, say in a, in a, in a supermarket or something, that you've got to really keep your eye out because that is so quiet. Well, now they do make a, noise out the back but i met a guy who'd who'd put ducks duck sound so when he reverses <laughs> wink, 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 it goes backwards it's quite cute I love yeah that. just mother like a little, little, yeah some mother ducks and some baby duckling that's quite sweet i like oh that. man <laughs> i like that yeah. outstanding oh man well Thank you so much for sharing so much of of your interest and in, in background. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. I was trying not stick, to share too much. We'll stick the landing on. Can you come back sounds. every week? We, we need that. I need that as a custom ringtone. And uh, I I would be remiss if I didn't ask for the fans out there. I heard a rumor that there was a ninety minute Red Dwarf special in the works oh, yeah. that due to 2020 being what it is was delayed so if there's any kind of juicy tidbit you would be able to share before uh the sun gets a hold of these these details i i would be forever in your debt yeah. i mean the the own that's genuinely the only uh thing i can say because we really don't know is that we've all agreed to do another series if and and the there was an addendum from the producers if you're still alive which is a little bit chilling because the cast is getting on a bit but there was one moment when a genetically engineered life form that was chasing us down a corridor overtook us because it was a young man in a costume and he was much too fit and we're all too old and knackered we couldn't run fast (laughs) enough so that was a bit embarrassing Yeah, that was awkward. Can you give us a Crichton sign-off? Hello, my name is Crichton 2X4B523P. Such a jerky middle name. That was sort of how it ended up. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for having me on. I feel very refreshed now that I've um, worked through my dream. I would like to thank the Dream Analysis Group for your input. Most welcome. All right, well, it's time for our Talked About Tall Tales. Cue the special Talked About Tall Tales music.
That was cool. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, going with uh, going with today's theme of precognition, our talked about tall tale this week is Nostradamus. Uh, Nostradamus, born in 1503, the uh, sort of uh, sort of I guess today you'd be, you'd say that he was psychic. He is said to have predicted all of these things in the future. I'm going to read this little paragraph about the history of Nostradamus, and I think this represents what almost anyone has actually heard about him. See, he was a Jew who converted to Christianity. He inherited his prophetic abilities from the Israelite tribe of Issachar. He was educated by his grandfathers, who were doctors in the court of King René of Provence. Nostradamus went to Montpellier in 1521 to study medicine, and was so successful that he stayed on there and became a teacher himself. After his wife and two children died from the plague, he studied and became a leading expert on the dreadful disease. He used advanced antiseptics and recommended a diet low in fat with plenty of good exercise. A noted astronomer, he deduced that the planets went around the sun even before Copernicus. Known for writing his prophecies, he was persecuted by the Spanish Inquisition for heresy and was even placed on the Vatican's Index of Forbidden Books in 1781. Nostradamus adopted a very religious lifestyle to protect himself, but continued his magical pursuits in private. Once in Italy, he suddenly bowed before a young Franciscan friar for no apparent reason, and later that young friar became the Pope. His astrological forecasts and books of prophecies, called the Centuries and written in codes and anagrams, sold well and made Nostradamus quite celebrated. He used a bowl of water called a magic mirror to assist him in writing his predictions. Nostradamus predicted the date of his own death in 1567 in his Presage 141. He had himself buried upright so that nobody could walk on his grave. And most extraordinarily of all his predictions, when his body was dug up and moved during the French Revolution, workers were astonished to find him wearing a medallion engraved with that very day's exact date. Okay, so let me ask, have most of you heard anything, any of those facts on that list? Anyone heard any of them? No. <laughs> okay. I have not. Well, no. we're just, we're just going to trash I mean, this not, whole segment. Not going to lie, okay. but well, no. Nah. Anyway, that's basically that that's the version that you're going to get on any of these TV shows about Nostradamus or anything. And what I love about this paragraph and the reason I read this paragraph is that without <laughs> exception, every single thing in that paragraph is false. Because what is known about Nostradamus includes none of those things. These were all invented basically in 20th century pulp fiction, when he kind of became this character, this uh, this great you know wizard sort of prognosticator character. Okay, thanks. Well, he, he was actually a little bit known during his lifetime. It was for cookbooks. He wrote cookbooks. Were, wow. were, were they cookbooks <laughs> for the future? I guess right? he, he wrote it today because you're going to cook it tonight. So in that sense, yes. So it's just fascinating to me that um, that today there's there's this this need for predictions to be real uh, is so great that people just eagerly cling to this pure fiction. Um, essentially, everything that's written about Nostradamus is pure fiction. Um, the things that you'll hear, like oh, he predicted Hitler because in one of his quatrains it had the word hister or something like that. All of these things, everything that he's said to have predicted, 9-11, I mean, it just goes on and on. It's, it all comes down to modern authors 
coming up with ways to rearrange his words and decode non-existent codes in what he wrote to make it say whatever the heck they wanted to say. Um, there's certainly nothing like any of the popular claims actually in any of his writing. So that's the that's the talked about tall tale and how it uh, how it relates to to um, precognition. Yeah, I almost feel like we could uh, all take a, a maybe a a week and all make our own predictions and just you know make our little little you know I don't know our scroll and tuck it away for a year and see if any of them come true in a year. I don't know, guys. How do you feel about that? Let's just make some big old predictions for the next you know, next few. There's years, the group in decade. Australia that got? actually does that. The Australian skeptics. I think every every decade and they've been doing this for some time. They write down, or it might be even ah. every year, they write down all of the published predictions from all the celebrity psychics uh, because Australia has its own See, I'm psychic. like the star. You are. You are psychic. For science, I do it every year. We have, on This Week in Science, we have our oh, annual you? prediction show, and we predict, yes, we predict what will happen, and then at the end of the year, and then we recap the next year to see how many we got right or how many we got wrong. And what was really interesting is that my co-host Justin, some years back, he used to constantly predict that this is the year that we are going to find the Higgs boson. And I would say, no, we're never going to find this. We're not going to find the Higgs boson. That's not it. This is like this particle that doesn't really exist. It's not a thing. And we we stuck with those predictions for a long time. And then all of a sudden, it happened, and we scientists, physicists, detected the Higgs boson, and so Justin got Thank that you, big Justin. one right one year, after getting it wrong <laughs> for a lot of years. But it, you know, basically, it was Justin. Another another year, he also predicted some the results of the Super Bowl. It was well <laughs> hey, that's that's my territory. Okay, <laughs> completely useless predictions that I can only reveal after the fact. That's my method. I can predict every Super Bowl winner with fifty percent yeah, accuracy. Within 24 hours of the game starting. <laughs> I like to predict the results of football matches based on the um, names of the teams. So like if it's the Bears versus the Stallions, then I'm like, oh, Bears have teeth and claws and they're totally going to kill the Stallions, you know, and so... I try. Yeah, it's the, kind of like a wildlife. Yeah, that's like prediction. Mammal March Madness. Yeah. They do Mammal March Madness, yes. and it's it's very similar. You you know, and as a, as somebody who loves, you know, it's kind of like how I in the years I've I've bought wine based on what animals are on the wine label. You know, that's how I like the teams. You know, thank you. I I dig dolphins. They're cool. Give me a, a panther. Great, yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess I guess that Glad summarizes all of precognition right there, right there. Okay, Kiki, <laughs> I'm going to hand it back over to you to wrap us up. Thanks to Robert Llewellyn for joining us and telling his story. Please subscribe to our podcast. Join us on Facebook and Twitter at IKWSY. Did you listen to this podcast? We want to know more about you. Have you ever dreamed of a future event? Take part in our poll on Twitter or Facebook at IKWSY. And if you have a story that you want to share with us, something that scared you or that was weird, or if you just want to comment on our commentary on this show, 
then let us know at 888-55-SCARY. That's 888-557-2279. Then give us a call. All calls will be recorded. Please leave your contact details if you want to be considered for inclusion in the show. Everyone out there, join us next week for our next guest, Kyle Hill. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you.